You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual I got married last week, uh, remarried, renewed my vows, uh, married the same bastard again. Some states you can't marry um, the same person more than once. When you go and get the marriage license, they ask you if you, you are already married and if you are already married, you may not have a brand new marriage license. But in Washington state, they just ask you if you're married to anyone else. And I was able to honestly say no. And so we got our marriage license. Terry and I got married at City Hall. And a lot of people are calling and wanting me to talk about that on the podcast. They want to hear about the big day. And I was going to talk about it at the top of the show. Um, I had some thoughts uh, about marriage equality coming to Washington, marriage equality, of course, coming to Maine and Maryland very shortly and some things I wanted to say. But I just can't bring myself to talk about it in the wake of the school shooting in Connecticut, in the wake of our latest gun-enabled massacre on the same day that this lunatic walked into a school with a couple of guns and murdered scores of children. A lunatic walked into a school in China with a knife. 22 children were stabbed by that lunatic in China. Nobody died. Nobody is having to bury their child. In Connecticut, 27 people are dead, 18 of them children between 5 and 10 years old. Yeah, guns don't kill people. People kill people. But people who kill people with guns do a much better job of killing people. At some point, we have got to wrestle the Second Amendment to the ground and amend the Second Amendment to put the emphasis on the well-regulated part. Caitlin Doty, who's been on the show, she is the coroner in Los Angeles, tweeted out in reaction to the killings in Connecticut to get an air rifle in Japan. An air rifle. You have to pass two classes, a written exam, a mental test, a drug test, and a background check. Meanwhile, we are throwing guns out windows. You can't buy fertilizer in the United States without registering, without being investigated by the government because you can make a bomb out of that shit. But you can drive up to a gun show and leave with semi-automatic weapons and do whatever the fuck you want with them. And, this, and the shooting in Connecticut came right after the shooting at the mall in uh, Oregon. You know, we're not allowed to bring up gun control at a moment like this. The NRA and its apologists, its bought and paid for apologists in the US Congress are constantly saying because that's exploiting tragedy. But the NRA exploits complacency during those increasingly rare not moments like this. We are running out of days when this shit hasn't happened here, where we are permitted to talk about it. I guess the NRA strategy now is if there's a mass shooting every day, we can never talk about gun control because that would just be exploiting tragedy. And I just get so angry. And as a parent right now, I'm just so upset, so heartbroken for these parents in Connecticut who are having to bury their children who were sacrificed on the altar of gun nuts and gun rights on the Second Amendment, this precious right to have a gun, to protect your rights to have guns. That's all the people who are obsessed with the Second Amendment care about. The only rights they care about are the rights to protect guns. And now we can all look forward to lectures from those, from Congress men and women, mostly Republicans, also Democrats, bought and paid for by the National Rifle Association, 
people who live and work basically in a gun control bubble, the U.S. Congress, they're going to lecture us on how we must risk our lives when we go to work in a shopping mall in Oregon, in a movie theater in Colorado, in a grade school in Connecticut. We must risk our lives when we go to work because freedom, the Second Amendment, they have made it impossible Congress people. They have made it impossible to carry a gun into their workplace, but easy to carry an assault rifle into your workplace. I think we should all have the same right to a gun-free workplace that Congress men and women have. I would love to see American liberals and progressives just get off our asses and say, yeah, we're com- let, let's do it. Let's Let's take your guns away. It's time. There was a school shooting in the United Kingdom where I think 12 children were murdered in a school, I believe in Scotland in the 90s. The UK's response, they banned handguns. The end, no more handguns. And who was to blame? Fucking nuts with guns. So if gun nuts want to be angry at anybody, maybe they should be angry at each other. Maybe they should be angry at other gun nuts who are bringing us to this point where we're just going to have to do something like perhaps amend the US Constitution. The same day that the nut went to the mall and shot it up in Oregon, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals in Illinois ruled that Chicago's ban on concealed weapons was unconstitutional. We're just going to have to do something about the Second Amendment, like amend it. We can't live like this. We can't take this shit anymore. We have reached, I hope, some sort of cultural tipping point. How many Dead mothers at shopping malls buying Christmas presents for their children. How many dead children in classrooms in Connecticut? How many dead moviegoers in theaters in Colorado before we do something to regulate, to well-regulate our militias, our individual militias? Each of us individually somehow is a militia according to the reading of the Second Amendment promoted by the Supreme Court and every gun nut in this country. Liberals, progressives – it's time to do something and the time is now and we can't be cowed by this fucking exploiting tragedy by bringing it up now bullshit. We're running out of days where we're not having a tragedy like this. So we're just going to have to speak up regardless and we're going to have to get in the president's face. We're going to have to get in Democrats' face because they are part of the problem too. I'm going to take a minute to collect myself your calls after this. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to AdamandEve.com and enter Savage at checkout. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to AudiblePodcast.com slash Savage. Hey, Dan. Uh, my name's Anthony. I'm a 33-year-old man. Um, I get a question about swinging, I guess. Um, my girlfriend of two years now is aware that I have polyamorous feelings. Um, I've never really explored these in any past relationships. I was married for four years and had a little girl with my ex-wife who, uh, you know, I'm going through a divorce with now. Basically, our marriage ended when I cheated on her because uh, the feelings became so strong that I wanted to 
explore them. And unfortunately, I did it the wrong way, and I did it behind my wife's back. Now, I vowed never to do that again, never to cheat, and never to break somebody's trust and confidence. Um, so after our marriage, I tried finding a polyamorous partner, but I am a little bit overweight. And everybody that I messaged, every site that I went to, every place that I went, I basically just kept getting a laughed at and turned down. My girlfriend now, like I said, is aware of my desires and my interest in the polyamory scene. She did say when we got together that eventually she would explore those desires with me. We've been together for two years now, and she still keeps putting it off and saying, well, you know, I just, I need to wait until I'm comfortable. I need to wait until I'm comfortable. I just, I don't know what to do at this point. You know, it's, the urges are getting stronger and stronger. I vowed to her and to myself that I'm not going to cheat on her and go that way, but I love her so much and I don't want to end our relationship because of this, but I really feel that in order for me to be happy, Okay, you had to cut you off because um, because we only have about an hour for the show. Uh, look, poly people come in all different shapes and sizes. A lot of people that I know uh, who are polyamorous or in the poly scene um, are larger, smaller, big, little, tall, black, white. So I, I don't think you can ascribe your lack of success in poly-specific dating environments to your weight. Uh, perhaps you're doing something else wrong. Perhaps you uh, settled for the first woman that, that that came along who was interested in you who was not interested in uh, an open relationship. And, and I'm not sure that you're exactly clear on terms here. The way you're describing your poly essence, it sounds like you're conflating and perhaps confusing poly with open when you say the you know poly scene. What I hear is swinging and swinging and poly are two different things. Polyamory is many loves, having you know more than one partner to whom you are committed. Um, cheating on your wife or having a little piece on the side every now and then isn't necessarily poly. That's you know open or monogamish or whatever. Uh, so you need to get I think some clarity about what it is exactly you're running on and on and on about. And maybe if you were clearer about what you wanted, your girlfriend would be less nervous uh, and less hesitant. Um, if she is listening to you say Polly and thinking I will one day have a sister girlfriend or sister wife, that could be a problem for her. But if you were clear that – your understanding or misunderstanding of poly means every once in a while I fuck somebody else. She may have less of a problem with that if there isn't an emotional connection. You know, for a lot of women uh, who are monogamously inclined, whether they you know are inclined towards social monogamy, you know, being perceived to be in a monogamous relationship or strict sexual monogamy, they're more threatened by uh, their partner having an emotional connection affair with another woman, and that can make clearing the poly bar at least initially for many women. A little more difficult. So maybe if you were – if you understood what it was you were talking about when you said poly versus open versus swinging versus monogamous, she would be more comfortable or not. I don't know. How long should you wait? Well, two years is a long time to wait. I think if at the beginning of the relationship you said, I am not monogamous. Monogamy makes me unhappy. It's not something I do. It's not something that I did well in my previous relationship and it caused a lot of drama and strife and contributed to this divorce, which is a nightmare. 
Therefore, I will not – now that I know that I'm incapable of keeping a monogamous commitment going forward, I'm not going to make those kinds of commitments because I cannot keep them. You laid that card on the table when you two met. At a certain point, you're going to have to pull the trigger. I don't mean cheat. I mean say to her, we're not monogamous or it's over and you knew that coming in and I've waited two years and the end. And she may counter with – I'm not going to see you anymore. I'm not going to continue to date you if you're fucking other people. And then you two just have to shake hands and walk away because you are not compatible sexually. You don't want the same things. And so however much you like each other, unless one of you is willing to settle, cave, give ground, then it's over. Hi, Dan. So I'm I'm in a non-monogamous situation, openly all around uh, and, and very happy. And I recently realized <laughs> after a lot of soul searching that I have um, feelings for somebody who is married in a monogamous way. And this has been going on for a really long time. I've known him for a long time. And I just really want to tell him how I feel and also to say, hey, look, I am not going there with you unless your wife is totally 100% on board. So, you know, let's either figure this out or not, and I will still care about you, and we can still have a friendship, and I will just cry my bitter tears and get over this, and we will be fine. But I don't, I don't know how to approach it. I don't want to be seen as trying to convert people, and I certainly do not want his wife to ever think that I would try to, like, steal her husband, because it's very clear to me that I would not want to be married to this guy. Like it, we would make each other crazy. I just love him and have feelings. Enough. Shut up. Shut up. Oh my God. Shut up. Listen, we who are non-monogamous, you and I, we know how hard being monogamous is. Even for people who are successfully monogamous, it is a struggle for many of them to honor that commitment. And as I've said a hundred thousand billion trillion times, if you're with somebody for 50 years and they only cheat on you once or twice despite your monogamous commitment, they were good at being monogamous. Not bad at being monogamous. Monogamous doesn't come naturally to us. Blah, blah, blah. All that said, have a little respect for your friend and his marriage. And however badly you want to fuck this guy, be a human being. Be a decent, non-monogamous human being and go fuck somebody else. Uh, there are 3.5 billion other men on the planet for you to choose from. Many of them in non-monogamous relationships. Many of them – Single and completely free and available. I know that you have a, a heart on for this guy. I know that you're attracted to him and you're into him. But if you like him, don't undermine his relationship and his monogamous commitment by trying to seduce him, by, by being that person, right? Have a little respect and don't play into stereotypes about non-monogamous people being out of control sex monsters who are out to steal people who are in monogamous relationships, who have no respect for monogamous relationships. I have respect for monogamous relationships. One of the things I respect about them is that's fucking difficult. I couldn't do that. I don't do that. And one of the ways I demonstrate my respect for people that I know who are in monogamous relationships is I don't hit on them. Not that I run around hitting on people all the time. I'm actually, you know, monogamish. I coined that term because Terry and I are much more monogamous than not. But whatever. You just don't do that. When you're in the non-monogamy camp, you know, don't pick them off because 
it sucks really for them, doesn't it? In some ways, we should just take pity on those poor people who are trapped in monogamous relationships because it's a struggle and it's hard. And one of the ways we can demonstrate to them our concern and our sympathy is by not making it harder, by not throwing ourselves at them. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is You're Not Doing It Right, Tales of Marriage, Sex, Death, and Other Humiliations by Michael Ian Black, narrated by Michael Ian Black. He's a comedian. It's very funny. The book is very funny. I read it. I read, as I often do, The Dead Tree. I haven't uh, listened to the audiobook, but I bet it's brilliant. I follow Michael on Twitter and he is hilarious and you should also follow him on Twitter. But you should read his or hear his book, You're Not Doing It Right. For that free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a 22-year-old male in a strictly monogamous relationship for about two years. Uh, since the beginning of the relationship, me and my girlfriend have always said that after a certain point of being strictly monogamous, we were going to crack the door a little bit and kind of open our relationship up. Well, since it's been about two years, we decided that the first of this next year, we were just going to kind of go open. So we were sitting down to make a list of rules, and, you know, we seemed to have kind of the same idea until she threw out one that we didn't agree on and we need, need settled. So she was saying that she doesn't want me to perform cunnilingus on anyone else other than her. I said that's kind of an unfair rule, uh, first of all, because most women expect it. I, you know, it's something that you need to do, basically, if you want to continue to get laid. So I, I said, you know, it's not really a fair rule, because, first of all, foreplay is obviously more important, but she says, more important than just penetration. And she says, uh, you know, she doesn't want to risk STIs. I said, the risk is minimal, but we, we can't seem to agree on whether or not this is a fair rule. Uh, so we really need some guidance here. You know, I, I feel like if I go out there and try and get laid without that, first of all, it's not fair to the other women. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to also be the jerk who brings something home to my partner. So... Uh, we could definitely use your opinion on this. Thanks. Seems arbitrary, the rule. It seems like it might be something that other women that you sleep with uh, could have legit complaints about. But as I have frequently said when it comes to an open relationship, it's legit for somebody to lay down seemingly arbitrary rules. One of the ways you prove that you are the kind of trustworthy man of your word that is qualified to be in an open relationship is to toe the line on those arbitrary rules, to respect your partner's arbitrary rules, that there are things that they want reserved, that your girlfriend wants reserved just for her, this thing she may want reserved just for her. And you should honor that even though you can say to her, legit to say, seems a little arbitrary, seems a little irrational, but you know what? You want to hold that back? You want that one thing to be just about us? I won't do that with other people. How hard is that to say? And then if you're with somebody, if you're going to sleep with somebody and she brings it up, you can say, you know, right now the rules of my girlfriend are this. 
And you throw that right now because that rule could change. Often when people lay down, when they're just opening up a relationship, they'll lay down a couple arbitrary rules. And as their comfort level grows, and it grows when they see that you will honor all the rules, including the seemingly arbitrary ones, the, the rules tend to loosen in time. So when, if you're with somebody else, you know, right now, my girlfriend who's, you know, my first priority sexually, emotionally, romantically, she wants to save this for us. She wants Conalingus to just be special and be about her and I and this one thing that, that we do. And if your third or this other person that you're going to sleep with can't respect that, then they don't really respect your primary relationship and they aren't a good choice for your third. So I'm kind of straddling this. I'm, I'm going to validate your feelings. Yes, it's arbitrary. But I'm going to validate her feelings and her right to lay down an arbitrary rule. And I'm going to tell you it would be very smart of you to honor that arbitrary rule. And in time, hopefully, uh, she'll get a little less arbitrary and there will be fewer rules. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to AdamandEve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hey, Dan. This is actually my third time making this call. Uh, the first couple times I kind of broke down crying too much. But I figured it's important for information to get out there. So got drunk and calmed down a bit. This is kind of a response to podcast 183. It's a pretty old one, but I've been going through your backlog. There was a young man there who was a pedophile and was wondering what he could do to help that. As you can probably guess, so am I. And so was my brother. He fucked up the molested little girl and me. And then he killed himself, which is fine because I would have killed him anyway. I can't really blame you for your response to it because, you know, I'm disgusted with myself and I hate myself every day and it makes life really hard and you have to have a lot of willpower to live. I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm not just attracted to children. And I... <laughs> I'm attracted to other people, too, so I guess I'm lucky there. But here's some advice for anyone else out there who's like me and is trying to find a way to stay sane and live and maybe doesn't trust themselves. Online, you can get uh, pills that are called androgens. Specifically, there's one called spironolactone. You can get it very, very cheap, very, very easily, no prescription or anything. Take 100 milligrams in the morning and 50 milligrams at night. You'll have pretty much no sex drive at all, ever. Like, things still function down there, but you really got to work at it. And that'll probably help you take the edge off. It's hard to resist suicide sometimes, you know? But for anyone who's out there and is suffering with this, and 
they want to be able to try to live a normal life, I figured that I should put that out there. And I'm sorry. I know it sucks. And I don't blame anyone for hating us. Joining me by phone, Dr. James Cantor. He's been on the show before to talk about this subject. He's the Associate Professor of Psychiatry at the University of Toronto and Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Sexual Abuse. Uh, thanks for joining us, James. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Uh, you don't mind if I call you James. Dr. Cantor, thanks for joining us, oh. Dr. Cantor. Um, before we uh, get to this person's heartbreaking questions and problems and his suggestion for other people who might be in his shoes, uh, can you walk us through really quickly, once again, the science uh, of pedophilia, why some people are attracted to children. Clearly, this isn't something anyone volunteers for or signs up for. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, for a very long time, we used to think, or psychologists used to think, that uh, being abused causes one to become abu- uh, become an abuser, kind of in a like-makes-like like like kind of theory. Uh, but that never really panned out in any of the research. Instead, we're finding that uh, uh, more and more clues that suggest that uh, uh, a person is uh, born a pedophile the same way that somebody is born gay or straight. I mean, we're just kind of grow, we just become sexually interested in whatever we're sexually interested in. We don't ask for that. Uh, mostly for men. For women, it's a different story. But for uh, men, and of course, the great majority of uh, pedophiles are, uh, are male, they get, uh, there's uh, several lines of evidence suggesting that they're essentially born with it, and we can't change it any more than we can change gay to straight. Now, because in the United States, it is impossible for many pedophiles to approach doctors to ask for help uh, to seek treatment. Um, you know, here's this guy who could probably benefit from speaking to a doctor, and what he's discovered is basically a program of self-medication. He's taking these androgens, stereolactin, I think he said, um, yeah. to destroy his sex drive. Uh, is that something that a, that a doctor would prescribe? Is that something that he really should be doing or recommending to other people who are in his uh, actually, it really is a viable option. I mean, I can't recommend, as he was suggesting, that somebody uh, uh, order them over the Internet. You can't really be sure of what, uh, what you're getting. But uh, uh, well-supervised uh, uh, drug-induced reduction of sex drive can be a very good idea for a lot of people. Uh, there are some sex offenders who uh, uh, willingly undergo uh, uh, sex drive-reducing medication to help them uh, uh, stop from becoming a re-offender. Uh, but we do get people coming in with, Doc, I got a problem, and they ask for sex drive reducing uh, meds. Uh, the, you know, different ones have different side effect profiles. That's why I say it should be medically supervised. But how? But the the problem with medically supervised is if you are attracted to children and you go seek the help of a doctor here in the United States, what's likely to happen to you? Uh, depends. There, uh, there does still exist medical confidentiality and certain pro- uh, levels of professional confidentiality. Uh, if the person who is acknowledging and admitting that he's uh, sexually attracted to children, but he lives alone, there's, there's no reporting obligation for a physician in, uh, under those conditions. Uh, in, uh, in the U.S., and it's a little bit different in Canada, uh, but in the U.S., a, uh, a professional is required to report in order to protect a certain specific person. If there is no person in the environment, such as children, uh, uh, or if he's not a teacher in contact with uh, with children, then the physician is required to maintain confidentiality. But wouldn't it be better if somebody who did was in contact with children who had this problem could go get these drugs, as opposed to that being the last person who can risk asking for them? 
Oh, absolutely. We have designed the system to be absolutely backwards of what, uh, of what it should be. We've made it practically impossible for these people to come in for help when we want them to be coming in for help. Uh, in the uh, effort, and this is the unfortunate side effect of these mandatory reporting regulations, uh, is that uh, instead of having pedophiles out circulating in society uh, uh, receiving some kind of support and help, we have pedophiles out in society receiving no support whatsoever. And somehow those kinds of laws are taken to be, you know, for ensuring safety. But if anything, they're probably having the opposite effect. We should be facilitating their coming in, never mind paying for it. Right. And when you say, you know, without support, when you when we say support pedophiles, I get angry emails from people saying, how can you support a pedophile? We mean supporting pedophiles in not offending and giving them the tools that they need to never abuse a child or rape a child. And we need to make a distinction between someone who is a pedophile is attracted to children and someone who has abused children and not every yes, pedophile absolutely. is a child molester. And uh, yes, absolutely true. I mean, the, uh, before somebody was a, a child molester, the day before that, he was not a child molester. He was somebody struggling not to do it. If the better we can help get in before that day, the more actual cases of abuse that we're going to be able to prevent. Uh, but that, that's really, uh, society has become so bent on, uh, on punishment that there's not very much attention going on to prevention. And just to be clear again, because this issue is so explosive for so many people who react without listening, um, I am for punishment when someone rapes a child or harms a child, as I, uh, as I know that you are. Uh, the research is, uh, is very clear that you know, some appropriate levels of punishment do prevent a person from, uh, from committing uh, uh, future crimes. But there's a point where that stops. The uh, longer and longer and longer sentences that are being just automatically given out become counterproductive at, uh, after a while uh, and extremely expensive. Uh, but uh, uh, you're exactly correct to separate the offenders, and there is nothing you know, in any of the science that, that says that these people are not uh, any more responsible for what, uh, for what they do. The people we need to help are the people who have never committed an offense and want help continuing to stay that way. And we also, it's in our interest to help people who have committed offenses and are struggling working not to commit a second one. You know, I, I'm not about uh, uh, throwing them off a cliff either. You know, they also need help. Now, um, just quickly, let's address this, the, the, the caller directly. Clearly, he's in pain. Clearly, he's struggling. He's found this treatment on his own that works for him. He's self-medicating. Do you have any advice for him specifically about where he could find more support? Uh, there's a new group that formed on the, uh, on the web that has really uh, uh, very, very uh, well impressed me. Uh, they, they, I'm not crazy about their name. They call themselves Virtuous Pedophiles. Uh, the website is uh, V-I-R-P-E-D. Uh, I don't remember if it's .com or .org. Uh, but uh, these are a group of uh, uh, people, almost all, uh, all men, who are aware of their sexual interests in children and try to give each other that kind of support that they need in order to remain offense-free. Uh, now, uh, because there do exist pedophiles and there's no way to turn a pedophile into a non-pedophile, having pro-social ones helping each other, you know, uh, uh, have happy, productive lives is really the best means of prevention any of us uh, uh, has. So for people like that caller and anyone else in that, uh, in that position, really the, the, one of the best things that they can do are get into contact with other people in a similar position. Now, the, 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 the website is uh, verped, V-I-R-P-E-D dot org. 
And this will freak people out. What we're saying is this guy needs to get into contact with an organized online group of pedophiles. And the only time we ever hear about online organized groups of pedophiles is when it's abuse or child pornography. That's not what this site is. It's not what these people are trying to do. They're trying to create a, a network and accountability network that prevents abuse, that protects children by offering pedophiles the support they need not to abuse. And listen to that caller's voice. You hear the, the pain and the conflict and the, the self-loathing and self-recrimination in his voice. And he's, he's suicidal. He is struggling. And if we offer him the support that he needs, not just go online and find some drug on your own, we are not doing favors for pedophiles. We're not throwing bouquets at pedophiles. We are protecting children by doing that. Anything else you'd like to say to the caller, James? Uh, nope, about, uh, uh, that's about it. Uh, and uh, people can uh, uh, check on various websites there, uh, 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 mandatory reporting regulations. And you know, physicians are very, very, uh, they know exactly which way is up. And they, they can help the person need, uh, know what they need to know in order to get the, uh, the treatment that they need. Dr. James Cantor, Associate Professor of Psychiatry at the University of Toronto, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Sexual Abuse. Thank you so much for making time for us today. My pleasure. Hi, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old female from New York, and I have kind of an ethics dilemma. Backstory is, over the summer, I met a guy, and we became fuck buddies. I'm not dating anyone. I don't want to date anyone at this point. But I really like sleeping with this guy. Anyway, he's I've actually gone out of my comfort zone with him. I've gone from being the person tied up to being the person who ties someone else up. And I tease him mercilessly, stop when he's about to orgasm. And quite frankly, I love it. No problem with that whatsoever. My question actually pertains a little bit to uh, mementos. What I really get off on is hearing him say how much he enjoys what we're doing. And I was kind of wondering if it would be so bad if perhaps I recorded one or two of our sessions uh, while we're together without him knowing. I, I, I know the obvious question is, why don't I just ask him? But again, we're fuck buddies. We're lovers. We don't really talk about things. We just kind of get down to business. Anyway, um... Is it so bad to record the audio of what's going on? I would only use it for my own personal enjoyment. What do you think? Sometimes I like to bring in a guest expert to help me handle a question or a dilemma, an ethical dilemma. Uh, unfortunately, Mitt Romney was not able to join us today to talk about whether it's okay to make an audio recording or, or how someone might feel about an audio recording being made of whatever it is he's saying without his knowledge or consent. I'm sure Mitt Romney has something to say about that. Uh, it's not okay. It was okay to do that to Mitt Romney who was giving a speech, who was wearing his clothes, whatever. It's not okay to record someone while they're having sex without their consent. Whether it's audio, whether it's video, it is not okay. And here's how you can tell. It's pretty simple. You say, if the shoes were on the other feet and he did it to me, how would I feel? And I can't imagine that you'd be so into that. 
Uh, so he's your fuck buddy. You guys are messing around on a regular basis. You have a right to say, this is so hot and I love hearing you beg. I'd love to have a recording of that so I can jerk off or jill off or whatever off uh, that you're going to do later when I vibrate myself. I'd sometimes like to be able to just play that back and listen to you beg and then see what he says. He'll probably say, yeah, I can't imagine, particularly if it's just audio, uh, that he will say no unless he's Mitt Romney or – it has some sort of public role or a public life and he'd worry and he, or he doesn't trust you with that audio tape. But you need to ask because if he did it to you, you'd be calling me about how pissed you are about being violated like that. Would you not? Yes, you would. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm calling with a question regarding cheating. I am in a weird situation. My sister decided to take up a relationship, if you can call it that, with a married man and long story short, his wife found out very dramatically um, he has a baby, which is even worse. And my sister, once, once it all kind of came out, she had to, for all intents and purposes, come out as well. Tell my family that she had been seeing this married guy and, you know, it's sort of like, take it or leave it. It's, it's, it's going to keep going. So she's now in a relationship with this guy and he's in the process of getting divorced and it's kind of messy and she's kind of sneaking around with him and not being so open about it. Um, but anyway, so it's been 10 months and I don't live near her. So I didn't have to, I don't really have to see it every day. Um, but it really bothers me. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But I'm not for the contempt that I have for my sister, but now since the holidays are approaching, she wants me to, as her Christmas gift, go and meet this guy and, you know, have a couple drinks with him or whatever. And I agree to it because she's my sister and I love her and I eventually will, you know, forget this and I, I won't be mad at the situation forever. But the thought of meeting him and talking to him and hanging out with him and being nice makes me want to, like, makes me want to vomit. Like, I, uh, I think it's disgusting. I hate it. So do you have any advice for me as to how I can maybe push past that? Because I love my sister. She's my family. Um, I don't agree with the decision she made to be a part of this, but I don't want to hate her forever. And I need to learn how to move past it and kind of move on. You know how on Twitter people say a retweet isn't necessarily an endorsement? A drink isn't necessarily your blessing. It's not an endorsement of their behavior. Uh, it's not you, you saying that – Cheating's okay with you and breaking up marriages is okay with you and men walking out on their wives and small children, all of that is okay with you. That said, you know, you need to determine, particularly if this relationship has legs, if this, you know, your sister is going to be with this guy for a while. Uh, at a certain point, you know, life is messy, shit happens, families fall apart for all sorts of reasons. Um, maybe your sister is the hurricane that knocked that whole house down all on her own or maybe other shit was going on and it was destined to fail anyway. And it's possible knowing that your sister is a good person as I think you know her to be, that this guy is also a good person and this was just a real fucking shit show, tragedy, unfortunate series of events and choices. People have agency. The choices were also made. Decisions were made. But that they're not scum. You know, you need to at least meet with this guy to determine whether he is scummy or is he a decent guy who did something scummy or whose first marriage fell apart in an embarrassing, scummy way. 
Uh, but he himself is not scum. You know, how does he feel about the end of his marriage? How does he feel about uh, his child? How does he feel about the way he met your sister? You may meet him and find that he's deeply conflicted about all of this, feels appropriately mortified and embarrassed. But as somebody else who did something terribly mortifying and embarrassing once said, the heart wants what it wants. And if the marriage was destined to fail, it was destined to fail. And if he was going to be with your sister by hook or by crook, he was going to be with your sister. And you at least got to meet with him to take that measure, right? To see if the way they feel about how they came together roughly comports with how you feel about divorce, infidelity, broken homes, betrayed children, betrayed wives. And if it does roughly comport, maybe you can make a little room in your life for this guy and your sister and this relationship. Doesn't mean you have – you're giving your retroactive blessing to every foolish thing that they did uh, and to all the pain that they caused. But a lot of decent and loving and stable relationships are born in messy, painful circumstances and situations and a lot of people uh, have hurt people. And if you start cutting everyone out of your life who made stupid choices at some point and hurt somebody, there are not going to be a lot of people left in your life after a while. Hi, Dan. I'm calling about the woman who lied about being raped when she was younger and didn't know how to uh, quite untangle that web. Um, firstly, Dan, I'd like to thank you so much for pointing out the very small percentage of false rape claims and the vast numbers of unreported sexual assaults, because the idea of the prevalence of false rape claims is something that is used pretty often to discredit survivors, so um, that's really important. So thank you for doing that. To the caller, um, first of all, fuck you. Like, <laughs> seriously, fuck you. As someone who has been raped a few times in my life, including once by a stranger who kidnapped and nearly murdered me, after which I was still disbelieved by police and still told by my family and everyone close to me that it was my fault, your call was really, really hard to listen to. That said, I think the caller made it very clear she regretted this, was deeply ashamed, la la la, and then, as you pointed out, we all do dumb shit when we're 14 and I'm certainly no exception. Um, I completely agree with you that she needs to come clean about this, but I wanted to add that I don't think it's just for the sake of her conscience. I think she has a social responsibility to not still leave this false dynamic that she's created uh, in place because it, it really is predicated on the experiences and the very real trauma of real people that she doesn't have any right to lay claim to. Um, and I'd also like to add that after she does come clean, if this is something that continues to plague her, uh, she may want to consider um, reparative actions like contributing to organizations that provide support and services for survivors. Uh, she may want to find out how she can donate to or support her local crisis center in her area or possibly an organization like RAIN, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. Thanks. Hey, Dan. This is a response to episode 320, the woman wondering about poly funeral etiquette. First of all, I'm so sorry. Uh, my father passed away this year, and uh, I'm also a poly person. Uh, I'm so sorry. It's a really long uh, time to heal, and I'm so sorry for you and your family. The thing I have to say about uh, funeral etiquette, at least for me, is I had friends there, family there, uh, lovers there, exes there, 
and uh, I was ready to cry on anybody's shoulder who would offer it and uh, to hold hands with anybody and hug anybody. And that's pretty acceptable, and nobody asked many questions about who people are to me and uh, what's behind the hug or whatever. Everybody's uh, eager to offer support, and um, you should be willing to accept it from anybody. I was out as Polly to my immediate family, but nobody else at the funeral and wouldn't have wanted to complicate it. And I understand uh, the same is true for you, that you wouldn't want to complicate it. Best of luck to you and your family. Hey, Dan. I'm calling about episode 320 about the guy who wanted to know if he's being an asshole by not going down on a woman on a, you know, one-night hookup or whatever. I have to say that I think he meant something differently than what you said. I think when he's like, you don't know what dick has been in there, or I don't know what dick has been in there, he wasn't being homophobic, he was being germophobic. And um, it's actually refreshing to hear that uh, for a change, since, I don't know, I'm, you know, ventured into the kink community and other things and set from your advice, and you don't find too many people worrying about that. And I'm a little bit of a germaphobe there. And this is what I would say. That is perfectly fine on a couple conditions. One, you do not expect her to blow you if you're not going to go down on her. That is absolutely, totally selfish and makes you a definite asshole. Two, if she goes to blow you first, and then you're going to just spring the news on her afterwards that you're not going to go down on her due to your own phobia or one-time hookup, you need to stop her from wrapping her lips around your dick before, and you need to tell her that, and then let her make up her mind if she wants to blow you. And if you are going to see the woman a second time, then just go get tested, both of you, so you can have some really good oral sex. But don't be the douchebag who, like, don't even bring your dick within a, you know, 10-inch radius of her mouth if you know that you are not going to go down on her. Got it? Okay. (laughs) Bye. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a comment or question for a future show, give us a buzz. If you want to comment on a show and make sure everyone on earth sees your comment, go to thestranger.com slash lovecast, where there's a dedicated comment thread for each and every show. And often the people who called into the show turn up in the comments threads to uh, discuss their problem with my informed readers, who sometimes have better advice for them than I do. Yes, that sometimes does actually happen. And please let your congressmen, let your senators, and let your president hear from you and demand rational, sane gun control now. Something you can do easily and quickly, go to petitions.whitehouse.gov. Look up the gun control petition. The headline of it is immediately address the issue of gun control for the introduction of legislation to Congress and put your name to that. Sign it and it'll force the president to do what he didn't do in his press conference about the massacre in Connecticut last week, which is to talk about gun control. Please go to petitions.whitehouse.gov and add your name. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian, Seattle's best straight person, and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.